0: have you uh, here on this uh, really nice, uh, warm, balmy day. I got up at 5 uh, o'clock and it was 26. I was telling my mother, welcome to Virginia. So she's been uh, moving boxes uh, since Friday. The truck finally came. And uh, so she's, I was like, how many boxes can you have for your kitchen? She has many. So we were amazed. Uh, so she came from a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a swimming pool and Two-car garage to 800 square feet. So it's amazing. It's going to take a miracle to move everything in there. So pray for us uh, as the children help her this week. So we're having a lot of fun. I uh, hope, Mom, you're enjoying the 26 degrees. So feels just like California. <laughs> we're in the book of uh, John. And we're For Christmas, uh, we're looking at the I Am Statements of Christ, which explain who He is. Uh, and we're in Chapter 14, looking at... Three I am statements there. Um, let's go to God in prayer this morning. Father, we uh, adore you. Uh, you are uh, far beyond what we can even comprehend with human finite thinking, but you have condescended to our estate and uh, you have walked uh, among us. You have shown yourself to us. Uh, you've uh, challenged us and, 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 and verified your uh, messiahship by many means, as we'll see today. And we thank you for just condescending to our low estate. And for loving us enough to die for our sin. Uh, We're humbled as we look at your words to Thomas. Might they be words that we wrap our hearts and minds around uh, and and use them to lead people to the King of Kings. And we pray for those who don't know you this morning that they would come to a saving faith today. And might we who've walked with you uh, for many months or many years be energized again to share the gospel story of Christmas in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Carols. uh, I've told you I like them, I like to play them on the piano, I like to sing them. Uh, Good Christian Men Rejoice is one that I like, uh, because it tells you in the title exactly what you're supposed to do. So it's pretty simple. What are you supposed to do? Rejoice. Rejoice. So are you supposed to just, you know, be totally, yeah, good Christian men rejoice, this is exciting. Like that, or totally excited? No, you should be joyful uh, when you're doing it. Uh, Why? Well, uh, here's how the tune goes, don't worry, I am not singing. You Christian men rejoice uh, with heart and soul and what? Voice. Give ye heed to what we say. Jesus no, no, no. There's more words before that. News, news. Uh, Jesus Christ is born today. So there's news. And if you read it in the, in the hymnal, the news has an exclamation point by it. You should be excited that Jesus Christ is born today. Uh, is a story. Why be all excited about the birth of a Jewish baby 2,000 years ago? I mean, why are we still talking about that 2,000 years later? Uh, well, it's because of uh, who he was and who he is. Uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, says that when the Messiah comes, he'll be known as God with you. He'll be God in the flesh. Uh, Micah, a contemporary of, uh, of Isaiah, prophesied in chapter 5, verse 2, further information about the Messiah when he would come, which is why you should be excited. What did uh, Micah say by way of inspiration about the Messiah? says, but uh, as for you, Bethlehem, uh, Ephrathath uh, too little to be among the clans of Judah you're just a backwater little village it says uh, from you one will go forth from me to be the ruler in Israel his goings forth are from long ago how long ago from the days of eternity who's coming well God's coming who's he going to be he's going to be the Messiah uh, he tells you uh, he's going to be born in what town? Bethlehem. Notice, so God didn't pick some famous town, big town, Rome, some big town uh, city at the day and time. So out of the way, nowheresville kind of little place, Bethlehem. Uh, the name Bethlehem Lechem in Hebrew means house of bread. So rightly was he born there, because Jesus comes along later and identifies himself as, well, the bread of life. And you just partook of Uh, The way for representing Christ as the bread of life Uh, it uh, isolates uh, Bethlehem this house of bread uh, As Ephrathath uh, which in Hebrew means to be fruitful and indeed that region was very fruitful Uh, But that differentiated this Bethlehem from another Bethlehem that existed in Israel So when the prophet prophesied he said let me be explicit Uh, of two cities carrying the same name uh, It's this one That's where the Messiah will be born Uh, What line will he come from well he'll come from Judah Um, And he'll be a king greater than David. Uh, How will he be greater than David? Well, because he will be, the eternal God will be born. That's the prophecy. Says that uh, he will be from long ago. And then he tells you how long, long ago really is. He says from days of eternity. Uh, Dr. Charles Feinberg uh, converted to Christ as a young man, as a Jew, uh, embraced Christ as faith. Uh, And he's written extensively, He taught Hebrew at a Talbot seminary uh, in Los Angeles years ago Uh, but concerning this particular verse he writes these words about that statement from long ago from days of eternity he says quote this statement is the strongest possible statement of infinite duration in the Hebrew language translated who's coming well a God who's outside of time and space uh, who is uh, the eternal one that is who is coming so why should we be excited about the birth of Christ well that was God in the flesh born in that little stable of all, of all things. And he, he proved his messiahship because, because anybody could claim their messiah. In fact, Israel had many false messiahs. Uh, and Jesus uh, validated his messiahship uh, not just by his teaching and his words, but by his works. Because you know some of the miracles that he did. I mean, they're off the grid. I mean, he could walk on water in a, in a storm. He could still a, a storm with a, with, a, with a small little phrase, peace be still. He could take somebody that had uh, been blind since birth, give him new eyesight. He could take somebody that had been lame, uh, never walked in their life, give them new legs. I mean, he did amazing, organic, powerful miracles that only God could do, that validated who he was. But he also validated uh, his person by telling people in real clear terms who he was, by taking the I am statements, from the Old Testament which d- depicted God he's the great I am of all time and wedding them to himself in fact when we get to John uh, eight fifty eight, right before we get to Christmas he's going to pick up the title of the great I am with uh, that's all he's going to say is I'm the great I am leaving absolutely no doubt that he was the great God that had been born and that was now the Messiah so there's no greater thing you could study at Christmas to rejoice about than the I am statements of Christ so we have studied Last Christmas, several of them, we covered uh, where Christ said, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. We uh, looked at John 8 where he said, I am the light of the world. Uh, And in John 10 where he said, I am the door. John 15, he said I am the vine. Last week we looked at, it's test time. What did he say about himself last week? I am the, were you all, you weren't here last week, none of you were here. Yeah, Uh, he said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way to Thomas. Because remember, in in, in the context, he'd been telling them uh, in the upper room discourse that he's going to die. He's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be denied by Peter. Uh, He's going to be crucified. And the disciples, it's just blowing their paradigm away. And then he tells them in verse verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have not have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. Didn't he say those things? And then Thomas asked the big question. Uh, Lord, we're just kind of wondering, what's the way there? I mean, how do we get there? And Jesus says, uh, let me be explicit, Thomas. Uh, I am the way to heaven. That's what we talked about last week. Today he's going to add another concept. He's not not just the way to heaven. Uh, the way, not a way. He's the only way. Today he's going to say, uh, Thomas, I am the truth that leads a person to heaven. The truth. We want to analyze that because uh, it's a powerful statement. Because in saying I am the truth, uh, he makes it definite, uh, not indefinite. Had he said, I am a truth, he would have left the door open for spiritual truth that gets you to heaven to be available in all other religions. He didn't do that. He said, I am the essence of truth, spiritual truth that leads to heaven in uh, a relationship with the Father, the Holy Trinity. I'm, I am the way and I am the truth, the essence of that. Uh, we, t- uh, we talked last week, if you uh, take an article and you want to classify a Greek article, there's different options. Here, the way I would grammatically classify this is what is called a monadic use of the article, meaning it's the one and only, like you have one son above your head. There's only one of those. When he says, I am the truth, he's leaving absolutely no wiggle room for there to be perfect absolute truth in any other religion now does that mean that other religions can't have smidgens and pieces of truth sure they do they might have the golden rule they might have a concept of of prayer meditation treating others with respect etc but jesus says when it comes down to saving a sinner i mean guiding them to heaven well i'm the way and i am the essence of all truth all the others have falsity attached to them as we're going to see So the fact that he used the present tense verb means it's perpetual so that there's never not a time when he's not the essence of truth. So is this restrictive? Is it restrictive to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Yeah. Uh, Is it absolutist? Absolutely. Uh, Is it jaw dropping to make that statement? Yes. Does it bother some people? What say you? Yeah, it it does bother some people. They're like, well, what about the other people? Um, When you think about this statement, I mean, it's the essence of what Christ said. So if you have an issue with it, I'm merely telling you what he said. He said, when you want to get to heaven, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father but through me. He's the essence of spiritual truth. So it shouldn't cause any any alarm because it corresponds to the facts, as truth always does. Truth corresponds to facts. You can't get away from that. Uh, And Jesus' life corresponds to the facts. When you look at his, his magnificent life, as we we're going to do that this morning. So he absolutely tells you who he is and identifies with, with uh, the prophecies to say, I'm here. I'm here. Born in Bethlehem, of the line of David, of the tribe of Judah, etc. His life corresponds with the facts. That is absolutely true. That's what truth does. Uh, falsely, falsity doesn't correspond to the facts. So let's think about correspondence view of truth for a minute. Because Jesus said, I am truth. So do you believe absolute truth exists? Yeah, you have to because the statement is in and of itself, absolute. So if if I look at my Bible and I tell you, you know, I am totally convinced. I feel that my Bible is purple. What say you is the color of my Bible? Black. black. It looks totally black. How many would agree it's black? Okay. Now the pastor's thinking it's purple. Oh. I feel ardently that it's purple. So who's right, you or me? Well, I'm right because I'm the pastor. No, no. Now that doesn't matter. It's does your position match the facts? Does it correspond to the truth of testing this particular book to see is is it is it black or is it purple? So truth always matches the facts. Falsity does not match the facts. And so Jesus comes along and says that he's the way, he is the essence of truth. So does his life correspond to facts? Well, absolutely. When you study his life in the Holy Scriptures to learn Well, he did exactly what was prophesied that the Messiah would do. He did all these things. But we are told in our world you can't know uh, truth absolutely. How do I know that? Because I read. So you read somebody like Immanuel Kant. Uh, I I know it's early in the morning. It's before lunch. Little philosophy never hurt you. Immanuel Kant, what did the German philosopher believe? He believed that when it came down to reality, you can't know. (laughs) Do, Do you hear me? Yeah, I just summarized, you know four years of grad school, and just a little statement. He, you can't know reality. Not, not really. That, so you can't really know something absolutely. But you can know his system that you can't know absolutely, so therefore absolutes exist, and Kant's crazy, right? Yeah. Did, you, did you follow me? Okay. I'm not trying to be tricky. It's just the truth. I mean, think about David Hume. Uh, great writer. Great skeptic. What was his uh, thinking? Well, when you read David Hume, and you boil it down, uh, he basically says two things. As a skeptic, doubt everything. Really? Why? Because you can't really know. So doubt doubt everything. So does that mean that I should doubt his skepticism yes. as being true? Yes. <laughs> yes, I should. But he doesn't want you to doubt his skepticism, but just doubt everything else. So he proves by definition of his statement that he, a skeptic, believes in absolute truth. Because he doesn't want you to doubt his system, just other systems don't measure up to what he thinks they should be. Interesting. Have you ever heard of a uh, Alfred North Whitehead. How many have heard of Alfred? Good. I only had one in the last service. This is a more attuned service, I guess. So, uh, Who is he? Well, he's the father of modern-day relativism. What does relativism state? And our culture is awash in relativism. And bear in mind, Jesus says he is the truth. Apply that to what he says about uh, relativism. Uh, Whitehead says, quote, All truth is changing and is in a process. Unquote. I'll say it again in case you weren't listening. All truth is changing, or it's in a process. What did Jesus say? I am the truth. Did he say, I'm in a state of changing truth all the time? That I, you, know, you might have to believe in me to be saved one year, but maybe the next year, maybe not. You can come to me, but you can come in other ways to me, through other religions. He, he didn't say that. No, he said, I am the truth. See, relativism is, everything is just relative. There's no absolute truth. The problem being, the mere statement that there is no absolute truth is absolute. Therefore, that's why I'm not a relativist. Uh, Does absolute exist? Truth exists? Absolutely. Jesus just claimed to be absolute religious truth. And if you don't believe that uh, absolute truth is uh, in existence, just study mathematics. Did you love math in school? I mean, admit it. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, some of our people here get PhDs in it, and they love it. They get statistician PhDs and stuff. I mean, they, they really get into it. I wasn't much too into math especially geometry, I'll admit. I mean, I'm looking at this as an athlete in high school thinking geometry, theorems. Like, who wants to memorize them? Well, if you want to pass, you better memorize them. And so, you know, when I was in school, I just kind of blew off geometry, and when they would hand back papers and everybody's paper, mine would come last, and the teacher would fold it in half. <laughs> and I, I knew, and that's the truth. That was exactly what would happen, and I was like, oh, man, I totally, I totally blew that. I didn't really enjoy geometry, Uh, In the absolutes of geometry, I I became a landscaper, and I had to give a bid to somebody of how much brick will I need, how much mortar, how much dirt, how much river rock for this given space, this volume, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, it's geometric measuring, isn't it not? Some of the shapes weren't square, weren't rectangular. What do I do? I don't want to have to pay for this person's lawn. I had to go back and study geometry in my 20s. Praise God for geometry. It's absolutely true. Now, just bear in mind some of these theorems that are absolutely true, are they not? How exciting when it says if two intersecting lines form a linear pair of congruent angles, then the lines are absolutely perpendicular. Man, just, that's just awesome, isn't it? Uh, okay. Now, imagine a student sitting in class who said something like this Hey, professor. Uh, two coplanar lines, which are perpendicular to the same line, they they don't necessarily have to be parallel to each other if I don't feel they're parallel. (laughs) Yeah, what's the professor going to say to that student? You're not passing. You're you're absolutely not going to pass because they're always true, absolutely. What is the point of studying mathematics when you look at theology? Here's how I look at it. If, if, Geometry theorems are absolutely true, and you would really want to know them uh, if you're designing cars, uh, building buildings, uh, developing your yard, etc. You would really want someone to know this stuff well that designs medical equipment, etc. You would want to be absolutely following those, not following what they feel is true, right? If you you follow absolutes when it comes to math, why in the world would you you not follow uh, absolute principles when it comes to the greatest question in all of life? Who is Christ? And how do I get to God? See, I don't want to know the absolute way because everything hangs in the balance on that one. See, we're really great with uh, absolutes in these other areas. When it comes to theology, it's like, well, it's, it's kind of relative to the situation. We don't want to offend people. No, absolutes, they're everywhere. Uh, And there's ways you do things, and there's ways that you don't do things. I'm sure when you walk through the airport, because many of our people fly all the time, and I've spent many times flying to California to see my mother, who's now here, praise God, saving tons of money, and now I just got it. My daughter is still out there with the grandkids. But, um, you know, I've had a lot of time, you know, floating around the airport waiting for my plane, and one day I was, Liz and I were flying just not long ago, and I walked by the Lufthansa area with two special doors, and I'm walking by there going, ooh, all right. This is awesome. I wonder if I could walk in there to that little lounge area. I've flown Lufthansa before going to Israel. I mean, maybe they'll just let me come in. Right. Do you think any German behind the counter is going to see me coming in? They're going to want to know, do you have the ability to get in here? I mean, how do you get into this special lounge area? Can all Lufthansa people go in there? No. How do you get in there? Obviously, you don't go in there. Well, you got to fly a whole lot of tons of airlines to get in there. I mean, you you just can't just go in. It's restrictive. So do I have a problem with them being restrictive about their absolutist position? No. You'll never see me at the airport with my my coffee out there screaming at them. You guys are so intolerant. You won't let me in. So uncaring, so uncompassionate. Why can't I come in and join a nice couch? Are they going to let me in? No. So because they absolutely won't let me in because you have to pay the price to get in there. Can't get in. Uh, do you fly southwest? So if you want to have a companion pass, how many miles must you fly to get a companion pass? I have tried for 11 years. <laughs> I mean, you've got to fly like 100,000 miles a year to get to that level to get a companion pass so they can fly for free. My little meter, when I get my bill, is barely moving. Again, they have their rules and regulations. They're absolutely true. They, they're very restrictive. I have no issue with that. See, so when it comes to the gospel, God's very restrictive. And he's very absolutist on how you get into his presence, and he says you must come through, well, the Son, who is the essence of all spiritual truth. How do we know Christ is the essence of all spiritual truth? Well, uh, because uh, for one, he fulfills prophecies he can't control. I mean, did you, did you pick your family line? Maybe you would like to have picked your family line. You know, did you pick your family line? No. You picked the city that you are born in? Oh, I don't want to be born there. I was born in El Centro, middle of nowhere. Uh, most people don't know where it is. So I tell them, uh, near Yuma. Oh, oh, Yuma. Yeah, hot. Oh, <laughs> yeah, hot. You know, I didn't get to pick. See, Jesus fulfilled 60 exact prophecies. So what's the mathematical probability one man could fulfill 60 exact prophecies concerning his coming? Well, just nine prophecies uh, coming true in Christ, fulfilling them, is 1 in 10 to the, uh, to the 76th power. That's mathematically impossible. That's, that's just... That's just nine. He fulfilled 60. I mean, if if, if he was to do this, I mean, it's so off the grid, there's no way that he could have done it. He had to be God in the flesh to fulfill it. So I don't have any issue with that because it's the facts. It's the facts. Uh, Jesus is absolutely the Messiah because just the prophecies show that he's the Messiah. And logic shows that he's the Messiah, that he's the truth, the essence of all truth. How do I know that? Well, think about it this way. We've looked at philosophy as exciting as that is, and evaluated it. and let's look at logic. You all love Aristotle before noon, do you not? Oh, uh, so amazing. What did Aristotle do? Many things. One of the things that Aristotle did is he discovered logic. He didn't invent it. God built it into the cosmos. Because in John 1:1, when it says, in the, in the beginning was the word, Jesus is the word. The word is logos, logic. Who's Jesus? He's the essence of all logic. I mean, to be a believer it means I don't check my brain at the door. I bring it with me. I look at the evidence. Uh, And so when you look at logic, and we talked about this last week, we're going to review it again because, well, brain cells die daily, do they not? So we need to go back to what we talked about last week, restate it again. When it comes to logic, Jesus is going to say, I am the truth. We'll we'll label that uh, item A, which means anything that is opposite of that is non-truth, opposite of that. So law of non-contradiction, the first principle of all logic says this, uh, Opposite statements cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. Translated. When Jesus says that I am the, the way or the truth, then that means the opposite of that cannot be true at the same time at the, in the same way. Translated. Um, you can't say I am the only way to God and then there are other ways to God. It's one or the other. They cannot both be true at the same time. So let's go back to my Bible. What color is it? Black. It's black. I can say all day long I feel it's purple. It doesn't match the facts. It can't be black and purple at the same time. So when Jesus says he's the truth, he's evidencing the first law of all logic to say, I am this and it's not that. So how do you know it couldn't be these other ways of salvation because do they correspond to the facts? I mean, since Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies and verified who he was in that, and by his words and his works, his life matches the facts of the coming Messiah, not other systems. So Jesus is the, the true one, the only one. There are no others. So does the rest of the New Testament talk about that? Absolutely. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says this about Jesus. He says that he is the mediator between God and man, between holy God and sinful man, you have to have a mediator. His name is Jesus, which means there's not multiple mediators, there's only one, his name's Christ. Uh, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 that man is irreconcilable uh, irreconciled because of his fall in the garden. So the only way you can get a sinner to be reconciled with God the Father who's holy is you have to have a reconciler. Jesus is called the reconciler. He's the only one that can do it. There's no exceptions. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, Jesus claims that he is the spiritual light through the pen of John. There are no other spiritual lights. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 26, uh, he says that he's the only one who grants eternal life to people when they come to him in faith. He's the only one, which means there's no other ways by which a man can come to find truth. John one twenty nine. when the John the Baptist sees Jesus coming toward him to be baptized he makes that exclamation that most Christians know what did he say will behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world not a lamb the lamb the one and only Nicodemus uh, a leader among the Pharisees uh, a Jew who believed in God uh, but who also believed in salvation by means of obedience to the Torah works he came to Christ one night and, and, and Jesus uh, challenged this this holy man, and told him, if you want to be saved, you you got to come by means of me. Very exclusive. Uh, when you're a child, you usually learn it uh, in Sunday school, John 3, 16. I did. You probably know it. What, it's, it's what John told Nicodemus, the man who said, well, my way to heaven is belief in God plus works. And Jesus said, no, you've, that's the wrong way. That's the wrong truth. The truth is me. So what did he tell him? For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever Nicodemus believes in him, what? Shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. He didn't tell him you gotta believe and do the works of the Torah. He didn't tell him that. He said, Nicodemus, you're on the wrong path. You're believing the wrong truth. Doesn't mean you're not a moral man. Doesn't mean you're not doing great things uh, to bless other people, but you're not on the path and you're not embracing the truth that leads to life. I am the truth you must focus on and you must believe that to be true. Uh, does, is that belief that Jesus called him to believe uh, Unthinking faith? No. It's thinking faith based upon analysis of the facts and do they correspond to the truth of who Jesus claimed to be. Uh, The question at Christmas is, do you know that Christ? The one who is absolutely claiming to be the essence of truth that leads to heaven itself when you believe in him. His statement uh, merely says that the antithesis of that is true as well. If he's the absolute way there, then there are false ways there. Uh, In the book of uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus Uh, in his parables when he begins to teach them tells the parable of the weeds that when the gospel seed is thrown out into the world that he is the way and the truth that the devil will come along and do what? Well he'll sow weed seeds of false theology. Doesn't mean that those false theologies and religions can't contain truth. They don't contain the truth that leads to life. And so Jesus said be very careful. I don't know how you feel about working in your yard but sometimes well it's hard to tell a weed from a non-weed isn't it? When I was in Dallas Seminary working on the grounds crew, we, they built a brand new building and they uh, put all this thousands of dollars of landscape all around the building. And we got a new guy here. Who was, he, he had just moved here back in the 70s when the Vietnamese were coming. And he came here. Uh, and he didn't speak any English. And they put him on our grounds crew, all of us seminary students. And they told us to teach him how to be a landscaper and take care of the school. So we, sent, we didn't know what to do with him because we couldn't speak to him. So we sent him over to the newly area, area of school that was just landscaped. And we told him, we pointed to what weeds look like, and we said, pull these. And then we left for a couple of hours and came back. Because it's like, did it, was anybody really specific on all the weeds there? We drove back in total fear in our truck, thinking every single thing was going to be pulled. But uh, he, had, he had paid attention. Very, he paid attention and pulled out just the weeds. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a weed and a non-weed. Jesus says the gospel is true, but there's versions of it that are not true. They're false. Have you bought into one of those this Christmas? A way that's not Christ? A way that's not truth? Uh, false systems have the four things, uh, four components about them that you can readily identify them. I'll give them to you. Number one, false religious truth as opposed to Christ uh, has, number one, a founder or founders who supposedly eclipse Christ. Number two, they have a holy book or books that eclipse the scriptures. Uh, three, they call for some belief in God, belief in God. Uh, Whoever that may be, it could be a he, a she, an it. Some belief in God, but it's always coupled with great amounts of perpetual moral religious works. And number four, they will either reject Christianity outright or say that their version of religion is a fuller, more revelatory form than Christianity. Those four things. But heavy on belief in God coupled with works. That pervades all false systems of belief. Know anybody like that? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. He's the truth based on faith in his work, not in your works. Uh, This last summer when I was in San Diego helping Liz uh, with her mother as she was, uh, uh, you know, not doing well. Uh, We were there to to take care of her and my father-in-law with dementia. I drove over to San Diego, uh, El Cajon, to see my mom's uh, mother, my grandma's sister, my Aunt Pat. Uh, They are uh, devout Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, And I had not seen her in probably 40 years. Uh, And she knows what I do for a living. Uh, And uh, so I called her up and said, hey, you know, last time I saw you was probably 18. You know, I'd love to see you. And so Liz and I drove over uh, and saw my grandmother's sister. It was most interesting because now I'm a pastor, uh, and she knows exactly what I do. And from her theological grid, I'm the the problem because I'm teaching people the false way to God. And so we had a very interesting time reminiscing and talking and sharing, sharing stories. And before we left... Uh, We all stood up in the living room, and I asked my Aunt Pat, mind if I pray for you? She was horrified. She she froze. Fear just enveloped her uh, because I am the lost person to her and a shepherd who teaches people how to be lost. And I said, could I pray for you? And she was totally silent for a long time. And then she said, "Um, well, I, 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 I I don't think so. I go, Aunt Pat, I'm a pastor. Can I pray for you? And she said, well, it, it all depends on the name of God you use. Really? And I said, well, I can use the name of Jehovah. It's built upon the great I am statement in Hebrew. Uh, God is the great I am. I just believe he exists in Trinitarian form. You have bought into the false notion that there isn't a trinity, but I can pray using the name of Jehovah because this is his name. And so she said, okay. Well, was like playing chess to pray. <laughs> and so I prayed for my aunt and my, my cousin Brenda. Uh, who's never married, uh, lovely lady, prayed for them uh, and left their house and was amazed at the fear that overtook them. Why? Because they believe that I'm the false prophet. Isn't that interesting? Because the way they think that you get to heaven is by belief in God, a watered-down version of the true God, coupled with works, a lot of works. And I know what they believe because I've read all their writings. Uh, I have some of their books. Uh, one book is called The Truth That Leads to Eternal Life. Uh, It really doesn't, but that's what the book says. They have another book called Reasoning from the Scriptures. I would call this Confusion from the Scriptures. And I've read both of them, and you can read my copies. I have many notes uh, that I've put in there. Because what they believe is that to be saved, you must believe in God and also perform religious works to please God. Uh, Watchtower magazines, I've read many of them over the years One of them uh, had a title of an article which said What must we do to be saved? I thought this should be interesting, so I read it Uh, See if you agree with this It says, uh, what must you do to be saved? Uh, Yes, they say, believing in Jesus is crucial to our salvation What say you? Yes, I I, I totally agree with that The only problem is there's a comma So, believing in Jesus is crucial to our salvation Comma, but More is needed. Oh, what does that mean? Well, I would submit to you, as you begin to read, if you were to read these books, and I would say read them very carefully, if you don't really know theology well, when you read their books, it's very readily apparent you must believe in God, but you must also do all these other things to please God. And hopefully one day, your obedience level will be so great, He will allow your name to be put into the Lamb's Book of Life for all time, and you'll be saved. But you might not really attain that you just got to perpetually work see that's the problem with the false system of belief it's your work not Christ's work what is truth Well, truth is what what God has done for me not what I do for him Uh, what kind of system are you believing in this Christmas that Christ is the way the truth and the life that leads to heaven is that your system of belief that's the belief that saves if you're caught in a false system doesn't mean you're not a nice person doesn't mean you're moral Uh, immoral. You could be a great great person, but just lost because you don't know Christ, the essence of truth. Uh, He's the ultimate gift of Christmas to all who come to him in faith. That's what happened to Nicodemus that night. Uh, May it happen to you this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for who your son uh, was and who he is. He's the great I Am who revealed himself not just to Moses, uh, but who came and walked among us and showed himself for who he was and is. And we thank you for the clarity of his gospel that even a child can grasp the the simplicity of placing their faith in you to be heaven-bound and to be saved. And we pray for those among us who don't know you, whether they're friends, family, strangers, that they may come to know the Christ through the simple gospel story of Christmas. In Christ's name, amen.